Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, the local story of David and Goliath. You know, at the end of the day, they had committed the, uh, the sin of arrogance, and it hurt them. And that's what happens in many cases where a small business wants to get started. Dominant business doesn't take them seriously. That happened all the way up through our career. Many of us have a tendency when we hear about entrepreneurial activity to assume that you've got to immediately run off and raise money or you have to have some sort of separation between the bosses and the employees. Our next guest, Mark Langer, is the founder and president of Recovery Point Systems, a company that regularly takes on Goliaths in this industry and fells them more often than maybe he'd care to admit. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, you're involved in disaster recovery, which is clearly something that people care a lot about. Can you tell me briefly what re disaster recovery is and why it's important for any business to have it? Sure. Disaster recovery in our industry is the recovery of IT infrastructure and, and the capacity to do business. So what we do is we create what are called high availability or rapid recovery solutions for IT infrastructure. Um, you know, as I mentioned, if you look out the window here, you can see the police department. And can you imagine if the police department lost its computers? So what would happen is instantly they'd be unable to process anything. They'd have to have uh, um, communications to their cars and, and all of this. And so they would have a, a solution for disaster recovery. So wherever that computing is being done, if that building went away, this is an alternate site, an alternate computing resource to be able to do it. This is a great example of a business that perhaps people wouldn't necessarily think about, but it's ultimately an, an essential business. And that, I think D.C. is full of businesses like that, just off the grid and provide services. But here's what I want to ask you about. Your life as an entrepreneur, I think, is emblematic of something that, that I see often but is rarely discussed, which is what's the right way to grow a business? Do you go off and raise capital? or? Well, I think it's different for different people. In our case, um, in my case, I came from a securities background, so I understood the burdens of raising money from other people, understood the, uh, the, the compression of the short-term view of living quarterly instead of year to year. And so when we started the businesses back in the 80s, um, we started it with a very few number of people. They were all friends and family. We put our own money into it as well. Um, and, and we really avoided raising money at all costs. It's the siren song of liquidity. You know, you, 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 and, and it's also ego inflating. So when, when a venture capitalist or a private banker wants to invest in your business, it all sounds great and, and it's very flattering. But at the end of the day, you have two problems. The first is you get diluted significantly. And so if you believe in your business, you really don't want to be diluted unless you have to. And the other is that you have to run your business according to their goals and not your goals. Oftentimes, to build a successful business, you have to take a long view and you have to make decisions which might, which might not be profitable in the short run, but which are very profitable in the long run. And if you have somebody who's kind of sitting on your shoulder and controlling things, who is driven by quarterly returns and, you know, uh, private equity, investment bankers are all driven that way, it tends to make it difficult to make good long-term decisions. Um, so we've been very fortunate. We, there were many times when we were very, very short of money and would have welcomed an outside investment, but we found ways to use our own cash flow to solve our problems. And uh, in the end, it's been very helpful because we don't have a, an outside corporate master. Do you think that um, for many entrepreneurs, there's ego, but there's also a sense of security. You know, when you have a fair bit of money on your balance sheet, maybe it's not as uncomfortable. Uh, you've had some pretty uncomfortable moments uh, in your entrepreneurial career, haven't you? Give me an yeah. example of where you woke up and said, well, I guess it's my problem now. Well, when we started our business, we started in a storage business that was unrelated to where we are now, and it turned out to be a very bad idea. Um, it had been modeled by many people. It appeared to have a national market and in 1984 when we 
uh, actually started the business. About 200 of these companies went into business providing secure storage, and none of them exist today. In the process of that, we, like other people, sort of ran out of money, uh, ran out of uh, runway to do things. And you get very creative, and you, and you figure out ways to do a lot with a little. And at the end of the day, to me, what matters is your employees. The people who are working for you are the people who will either make or break your relationship with your customers. And when you only have a few customers, you can't afford to lose anybody. And we were blessed with really terrific employees, people who, when we realized what we had done wrong and when we realized the direction we needed to go, anybody standing from the outside listening to my story to my employees would have said, you're crazy, get another job as fast as you can. This is a, this company's going south. But we had all worked together and we understood what was wrong and I encouraged them to stay. We provided equity for them in the business. And many of those people 30 years ago are still there today. And I think customers want to see continuity of interface with a company. They, they don't like volatility in the, the people that they're dealing with, and they want the, the, the vendor to know them well and to remember them when they call and have history with them. And you really can't do that if you have high employee turnover. So I think I think there's a tendency on the part of many entrepreneurs, and I'm sure I'm guilty of this, to personify their success. You know, I did this, I did that. And there's some element of that, you know, in the early days, you know, we, we did everything. But as a business grows, it doesn't grow because the entrepreneur is the be all and end all. It grows because you hire really good people and you find a way to retain them and motivate them. And they are the face of your company to your employees. And if you don't have great staff, uh, you can't grow. So what you described to me is something that I hear many people say, but not everybody is successful in actually creating that kind of culture. Take me back to what it was like when you had that crossover moment where you could have packed up, but instead you you didn't. What do you think ultimately caused the employees, it wasn't just the stock, to want to throw in with you? I think it was two things, boneheadedness, you know, we're not we're not going to quit. And the other was that we, we saw that in, in the industry we were then going into, that there was a dominant competitor in this area. And they were doing a lot of business and we wanted to be in that business. And it was very, it's like running against a brick wall. They, they had the business locked up. Um, and so we looked for a crack in the wall. We looked for something that would give us an edge. And you know, at the end of the day, they had committed the, uh, the sin of arrogance, and it hurt them. And that's what happens in many cases where a small business wants to get started. Dominant business doesn't take them seriously. That happened all the way up through our career. Um, and so we would go to customers of theirs and say, instead of asking, instead of saying to them, here's what we have to offer, we would ask them what they wanted. And the dominant player never did that. The dominant player was so uh, sure of itself that it sort of told everybody what they could have. So the second thing I think beyond good employees is, is learning to listen. You know, I know people come to sell us all things all the time, and I find it very frustrating when people come and make a presentation to us, and the first 50 minutes of an hour presentation is all about what they have. I already know what you have. You wouldn't be in the room if I didn't know that. Why don't you ask us what we want? And so I think in many cases we were at a point where we had nothing to lose to listen hard. So we listened to customers and we listened to our employees, and employees are also a wonderful source of, of, of direction and guidance. Last thing really quickly before I let you go, Mark. If I was going to sum up what you just described to me, I think every founder should be gracious. I think that's a good word. I agree. Mark, thanks a lot for taking the time to share this uh, story. I think it's really emblematic of the, the way most great businesses get grown. My pleasure. Thanks. To, thank you for having me. Mark Langer, the founder and president of Recovery Point Systems. Thanks for listening to What's Working in Washington. Today's podcast is brought to you by Montgomery County Economic Development Corporation, MCEDC, helping companies start, grow, and accelerate business in Montgomery County. 
The future starts here. Go to thinkmoco.com today. A special thanks to our sponsor, Eagle Bank. How do you get to be number one in the D.C. area? Eagle Bank did it by putting relationships first. They're flexible, involved, responsive, strong, and trusted. Eagle Bank's goal is your success. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan. Our online contributors are Michael Hoffman, Barbara Ulrich, and Candace Pye. Music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening.